Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We are continuing our discussion around the subject of generational curses. And um, please make sure you get all the teachings up until now. I just want to highlight a point this evening that Jesus has become a curse for us. That Jesus became a curse for us. So what that means is this. Even if there was the validity of a generational curse in our bloodline, Christ has taken that place so we can experience freedom. So I want us to go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1 to 6 where you find that scripture. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1 to 6. Uh, from verse 25, the Bible says, So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. So this was the law, given the law of Moses. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I want you to observe the word out of the house of bondage. That Egypt is a type of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That's very important. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. It's amazing how when we read this verse, we always look at this from the point of idols, right? Like when we make images of idols, of fishes, it's easy to point this to idolatry. Except when we now have the image of Jesus on our chest. Okay? But the scripture clearly commands us that we should not make for ourselves any image or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And uh, that explained this on Sunday. Because of the relationship God had with Israel. It was a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So the qualifier there is those who hate God. But showing mercy to, a thousand, to thousands, to those who love me and keep what? My commandments. So it's very important for us to understand that this is where the basis of that generational um, curse concept came from. Now, I want you to observe this, verse 8, verse 5, visiting the iniquity, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So, visiting the iniquity. So, I want you to pick up that word, the iniquity, which is talking about sin, alright? Visiting the sins. So, the basis, I'm assuming right now that the generational curse is flowing, the basis of that flow is what? The sin. That's very important. The basis of the generational curse is the sin or the idolatry, which the scripture calls iniquity. So it's very important. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 1. We have already established Romans chapter... um, Let's go to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Let's go to Joshua 24. And let's read verse... 1 to 
Especially verse 2. Joshua 24 verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and served other gods. So I want you to observe that what we read in Exodus chapter 20 was the same thing that Abraham's father did in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. Which means that um, Abraham's father served other gods. So the factor of that iniquity was in Abraham's life. That if this um, issue of generational curses was to happen in the life of Abraham, then obviously Abraham should or have suffered from a generational curse. Do you agree or do you understand what I'm saying? Talk to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Exodus 20 tells us that the iniquity would be visited on the children because God is a jealous God. Exactly. So Joshua 24 tells us of Abraham's um, father and the fact that he worshipped other gods. So we can find that that iniquity was there in the bloodline of Abraham. So that means automatically Abraham qualified for the visitation of iniquity. Do we agree on that? Okay, fine. So, but let's look at how God relates to Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Alright? In Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. Romans 4 1. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. Now, what I want to establish here, because if you, if you listen to some teachers, they will tell you, oh, well, that was talking about the curse of the law. Alright? Which I completely agree within the context of Romans chapter 4. But we also know that the issue of generational curses is being taught from the law that was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. So if it is, if it is among the law given to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, we can also refer to generational curses as part of the curse of the law. Do we agree? Because it was part of the law given to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. So it is part of the curse of the law. Now, in Romans chapter 4, look at what God says. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, I explained this in the Phenema church when I was explaining to them that what you find in modern day deliverance is people come and tell you, you have to do this, maybe fast for seven days, make it dry, you know, do this, do this, do that, do that. If the person is sharing his experience of his deliverance, he would, re- he would rarely mention God. What is he going to mention? All of those things he has done. You know, after I fasted for, for, for 20 days, after I prayed, after we did this, after we did that, I got my deliverance. The scripture says that if Abraham were to boast about his works, he has nothing to boast about God. And we need to be very clear about this. Now let's go on. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now I want you to observe that because what drives the curse is sin and iniquity. What releases the blessing is what? Is righteousness. So this is what happened. Abraham's father served idols. So automatically, the iniquity was supposed to flow from the family of Abraham into Abraham to generate the, to generate the generational causes. I never thought of that before. Alright. To generate the generational causes. So sin is the generator. Okay, that generates the generational causes. That's powerful. 
Okay? But now when Abraham comes to God and believes in God, what happens? God gives him righteousness. And immediately Abraham receives that righteousness. There is no link again between the generational curses factor, which is iniquity, and the righteousness which is in the life of Abraham. Automatically, Abraham is cut off from that lineage. Because now it is iniquity and sin, not iniquity and iniquity. But all Abraham needed to do to find the freedom from this generational curse is nothing but believing in what God said. Now let's read on. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly. I want you to observe what is happening. God justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. So the moment God said to Abraham, Come out of your father's house. And Abraham says, yes Lord I believe. And starts walking. That moment, God accounts to Abraham righteousness. And so there is no basis anymore for Abraham to suffer from the sins of his father. Now go on. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God, look at this word, imputes righteousness. So just like that was saying on Sunday, you believe God and righteousness was ejected into your system. You now have imputed righteousness. Now, without imputed righteousness, you cannot walk in practical righteousness. It is the imputed righteousness that does what? That enables you to walk in practical righteousness. And that's why it's very important to teach people about who they are in Christ. It's very important. Instead of spending time telling people who their father was and all. No, spend time pointing out to them what Christ has done for them. Look at this. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. You remember what we read in Ezekiel chapter 18, right? In verse 21 to 23, that if this man will turn to the Lord, his deeds will be forgiven. Now look at verse 8. Sorry, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Now, I want you to look at this, this, this line. And whose sins are covered. Whose sins are covered. Now, when the sins are covered, what were they covered by? They were covered by the blood of Jesus. Now, if the sins are covered by the blood of Jesus, and you still tell people that they are suffering from the effect of their father's sins, what you're, what you're practically teaching is that the blood of Jesus was not sufficient to stop the effect of that sin in their life. Look at this. Blessed is the man 
to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Three things happening in that verse. Three things. Let's go back. Number one, verse seven. Uh, verse six. Four things that's happening in that verse. And that's what happened in the life of Abraham. Verse six. First, the Lord imputes righteousness. Number two, the Lord forgives the lawless deeds. Number three, the sins are covered. Number four, the Lord does not impute sin. With all these in place, there is no basis for any believer in Christ. Remember what we're saying? For the man who believes and is walking in Christ to suffer from any generational causes. Why? Because number one, when he believed in Jesus, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Number two, God imputed righteousness to him. Number three, his lawless deeds are forgiven. Number four, his sins are covered and the Lord will not impute sin to him, meaning the Lord will not charge sin to his account. Generational curses can only thrive within the context of iniquity. But what our believing in Christ does is that it removes us from that context and puts us in the zone of righteousness. And that's what Jesus had done for us. And that's why when we gather, we must not take light the, the work of Christ on the cross for us. It's something that believers should learn a lot about. What Christ achieved for us in the cross. What he did for us. Who we are in him. Because apart from that, nothing else absolutely frees us from the bondage of Satan. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. I, I told them on, uh, in the Finema church. And I, it, it's a bit of a warning. I know we need to promote our industry. We need to buy Nigeria and support Nigeria. But... You see, when you watch a lot of home movies, uh, African magic and all that, this is what happens to you. At, 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 at a point in your life, you begin to believe so much in the power of satanic forces. Because at the point, you know, even when they have a pastor in those films, I, I rarely watch, can't remember when last I had to watch a complete movie, but, you know, even when they have a pastor in those movies, the pastor now holds a Bible, goes in front of a shrine, and he's pointing, thunder comes, fire comes, and he's pointing, and he's pointing. You know, after watching that drama, what comes on your head is like God and Satan are fighting. Do you understand? Even if at the end of the day, the village is delivered, the image you have is that it is a battle between God and the devil. It's an insult. If you're always thinking like that, something is wrong. You know, like, ah, let's fight. Is 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 it, is it, it was battle of kingdom between kingdom. What, what, what nonsense are you talking? Which kingdom versus kingdom? Daniel clearly tells us that in the days of that king shall the stone come out without hands, and the, of, of the increase of his kingdom there shall be no end. It's not, it's not the opposite of God is the devil. No, no, absolutely no. God is in a class all by himself, and that's why you see all those drama in our deliverance. You know, even in church, when we have to deliver people, you know, everybody, ushers running, the whole place scattered. We like those drama. It shows that something powerful is happening. But it's just the height of our ignorance. Like the example I gave them. When Jesus told the disciples, let's go over to the other side. And they got in the boat. And then the, the storm came. And Jesus was sleeping. 
And the disciples went to Jesus and said, Carry not that we perish. You know, and Jesus woke up from sleep and said, Oh, thou of little faith. And he says, Peace be still. And the storms, you know, calm down. And he said, Oh, what manner of man is this that even the sea obey him? He didn't say, Oh, thou mighty storm that does not want the disciples of Jesus to cross to the other side. I don't care where this storm is coming from. Right now, oh storm, what is your name? And, you know, you know, the, the more you do all that, the more powerless you actually are. Jesus did not say, what's the name of the storm? Where is this storm coming from? Who sent the storm? You know, when God has said we should cross to the other side, who are you storm that say we should not cross? You know, all of that. You know, when you want to fight somebody and you don't have enough power to fight the person, you spend a lot of time talking. You just spend a lot of time talking. You spend a lot of time talking. Hoping that be- before you finish talking, somebody can come and put you apart. And that's the way we pray a lot of time. Oh, what is responsible for this? Oh, my God. Oh, my Father. You know, speeds flying, sweat dripping, the whole place. In fact, you say, no, off the AC. This is a very serious prayer. And then everybody's just head shaking, feet stamping, and the end of all that. And if you do all that and you are free, I think it's, maybe it's fair. You know, the next month, they say it's the final battle. I'm like, ah, oh, guy, no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this is wickedness. How can we finish that battle just last month? And you, are, you know, the reason is because it is not in the works that makes the devil defeated. It is in the belief that he is already defeated. You know, it's like maybe my little daughter comes now, right? One of the small girls in church, small children come in church. I say, oh, pastor, I want to fight you. And I said, okay, you know I can beat you. And the boy says, yes. When that's okay, for me to really show that I can beat you, let's fight. You know there's something wrong with me. That's the way it is. When certain things happen in your life, and you even, you even pay attention to them to pray about them, it shows you have also given them recognition. Some things just happen. You just, I remember I told somebody, I was in a dream. I saw that uh, my son was dead. So I got up from the dream. I realized what is dream. I just went back to sleep. Ah, pastor, why didn't you pray? My praying already empowers that. It's not, I mean, it's not something that can happen. You just sleep. You just ignore. Ah, me, no. I don't ignore anything, no. Everything. I take it seriously. I take it before the Lord. That's how one woman ignored. You know about one woman more than you know the scriptures. There are things that should, you should even experience and you tell yourself, this cannot happen in my life. It cannot. And that is it. You don't, you are not thinking about it. You are not analyzing. You are not, no. Praise the name of the Lord. The Bible says the enemy goes about like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. Seeking whom to devour. Seeking whom to devour. That means there are some people that he cannot devour. You put yourself in that class. Not just by confession. You put yourself in that class. By the renewal of your mind. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. So he says, let's, let's go to Galatians chapter... No, let's go to Romans chapter... When chapter 4. Let's read verse 21 quickly to 25. And being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform... And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, so every time God be- um, Abraham believed God, what happened to him? Righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Listen, this was not just written for the sake of Abraham. But also for us. 
It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That means that talking about imputed righteousness is not just for Abraham. If we also have that belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive that same uh, righteousness imparted and imputed to us. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus from, our, from, 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 the, from the dead. Who has delivered, who was delivered up, look at this, because of our offenses. This is very important. That Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. Right? So, I've, I've said this before. That if it was just only the fact that Jesus went to the cross, there will be no Christianity. Am I right? Am I right? You know, the cross... <laughs> okay, i said this now. You know, the cross is not the symbol of Christianity in a way. The cross was just a way by which people were killed. Right? So, I'll give you an example. If Jesus was killed by hanging, we wouldn't do like this as a sign of the cross. What are we going to do? Like this. <laughs> you know? So if Jesus was killed in a firing squad, we're not going to do like this. We're going to do like this. So, the cross was just a means of death. Because there were two thieves on the cross. So, the cross was not peculiar to Jesus. What was peculiar to Jesus? Resurrection. So what is the basis of Christianity that Jesus rose from the dead? Now if you see this place, it explains it. Who was delivered up because of our offenses? So meaning that on the cross, he was on the cross because of our offenses. Now we're going to go to Galatians 3 and explain this. But look at this. And was raised because of our justification. So on the cross, he took our curses. But on his resurrection, what happened? We are now justified taking his righteousness. So you cannot suffer anymore for what he took on the cross. Because that means you were not justified when he was raised up. The curses could not pass the cross. On this side of the cross was the curses. On this side of the cross was our justification and our righteousness. So let's read Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 3, sorry. Paul writing this. It's important for you to understand that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that became the basis of Christianity. All founders of all other religions... They all died. The one thing that separates Christianity is the fact of resurrection. Is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what separates Christianity. A Buddhist will not argue if his God was raised. An Islamic man will not argue if his God was raised. Nobody, no other religion will talk about resurrection except Christianity. We are the only ones with verifiable claims that when Jesus died, he rose again. We're the only ones with that claim. Galatians chapter 3 now, verse 13. Look at this. <laughs> okay, okay. See there. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Now you must understand the basis why Paul was teaching this. Why was he teaching this? Because after teaching the saints in Galatia about the word of the Lord and the spirit of God, they started resorting to the works of the flesh like we do right now. 
Right? You teach somebody, the Holy Spirit is in you. Oh, pastor, ride on. God dwells in you. Ride on. God says, I'll come and make my body in you. Ride on, pastor. You know, you are now the temple of the living God. Ride on, pastor. And then the next day, the person carries the olive oil. And says, the Holy Spirit is packaged in a bottle. <laughs> Did you just hear what he's taught in church? And you think, well, you are the temple of the living God. Christ, the Spirit of God, dwells in you right now. It quickens your mortal body. Your hands are anointed. He says, yes, pastor. The next day, he's opening his mouth for you to pour holy water to his mouth. <sighs> so Paul came back and says, listen. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Let's have that in the message translation. Quickly, Galatians 1, verse 1 to 3. And is that not what's happening in Christianity today? You ask yourself, what did we really do to get salvation? You heard the message of Christ. You came forward. You received the Lord Jesus. And that gives you salvation. It's amazing how simple getting salvation is. And after that, every other thing is difficult. Every other thing is work, labor, work, work, work. The greatest thing Christ had to offer was very simple. The rest. The rest. Ah, if you don't succeed, you won't succeed. <laughs> And Paul clearly says that if Christ has, if God has given you his son, will he not with him freely give you all things? You know, but for us, when something is very simple, it doesn't make sense. You know, let there be work. Are you there? Okay. You crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it is obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly said before you clearly enough. Paul says, we taught you this thing. We taught you that Jesus went on the cross for you. Look at verse 2. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by walking your heads off to please God or was it by responding to God's message to you? How did Christianity begin? How did you become born again? That's why it's called that in your early days of Christian life, you had joy in serving God. Right now is a burden. Right now is a burden. Right now is a burden. Some people have to be in church every day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No time to love their wives. No time to love their children. No time to even be human beings. So when they go to work, they don't even know how to function anymore. <laughs> Look at this. Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? When we tell people, listen, respond to the grace of God. And if you respond to that grace, He will teach you how to serve and to please Him. Praise the name of the Lord. I remember a few months, uh, last, towards the end of last year, how a senior minister called me 
I say, how can you, how can you, you know, normally we go on break in December for two weeks. How can you give the church break? Where did you see that pattern? (laughs) How can people go on break? You are teaching people to backslide. I say, listen, if people don't come for service for two weeks and they backslide, it means they were not believers in the first place. Ah, what about if they go to other churches? And so, if they go to other churches and hear better word, it means I'm, I have a responsibility to study more. Are you following what I'm saying? It's like saying, why will you allow your wife to go to the market? What about if another man marries her? Fine. <laughs> he shows you didn't do your homework well. Do you understand what I'm saying? This fear of if my members go out, if, my, if you go out and you are mesmerized there, it means I haven't done my teaching well or you haven't listened properly. You are never afraid of your product if you have done your work well. You are never afraid. And you know, the concept of rest is difficult for believers. Because we have been raised up in this thing that we have to do something. It has to be done. We have to do something. Listen to me. If you respond to the grace of God, you will serve God more effectively than by the works of the Lord. You will even be more committed. Your commitment will come from your inside. It will not be about, oh, the pastor. It's, it won't be eye service. It won't be politics. It won't be commitment for a position. It won't be who is there, who is this, who is that. No. It will just be you loving on your Savior. It won't be for you to earn anything from God or from the church. Galatians chapter 3 now. So we now go to verse 12. I'll explain this in 10 minutes. Verse 11. But no one is justified by the law in the sight of, in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them in the Old Testament. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We're going to read this now. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I'm going to deal with this on Sunday. But what I want you to pick from here is that Christ has redeemed us. The word redeemed, it means uh, to redeem by payment of a price, to recover from the power of another, to ransom or to buy. Number two, it metaphorically means... Um, the freedom that Christ paid for his elect from the dominion of the Mosaic law at the price of his vicarious death. To buy off something or to buy back. We have been redeemed, we have been bought back from the cost of the law. But this is what I want you to pick here carefully. Christ did not just pay some money and redeemed us from the cost of the law. He literally became the cost for us to satisfy the claims of justice. That's very important. Redemption was not something God did for us apart from himself being involved. No, 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 no. He actually took the price. Meaning that the price of that curse has been paid. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. It's not like he just sent his blood. and said, No, 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 no. He became a curse for us. Now let's read Deuteronomy uh, 21. And I'll show you here. Deuteronomy 21. So it's important for you to understand. That when you begin to feel all those things like, oh, is this not a generational cause? Know that someone has taken your place. So you can be absolutely free. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 22. I'll read here now. Deuteronomy 21 verse 22. 
Deuteronomy 21, 22. If a man has committed a sin, look at this, deserving of death, and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. So the cross was referred to the tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so you do not defy the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is a cost of God. So when Jesus went upon that cross, he literally took our curse. So there's no basis, there's no justifiable basis for us to experience those curses again. Why? Because he fulfilled the claims of the law by taking the curse upon himself for us. So, so we read in, in Romans chapter 4 that he was raised for our justification. He was on the tree for our offenses. Now you can go back home and study Isaiah 53, verse, verse 6 especially. Our iniquity was laid upon him. So on the cross, he took our very place. And that's important. That's what frees us from any form of generational curses. Now, if you go to um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm just going to wrap up here, then I'm going to build up on this on Sunday. But if you go to Deuteronomy 28, now, let, let's look up now, because it's very important. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, you know the scripture a lot, because a lot of believers quote it. You know, if you hack into the voice of the Lord, your God, and obey to do all my commandments, bless you in the city, and bless you in that, and bless you in that. You're going out, and you're coming in, shall be blessed, and all that. Deuteronomy 28 has 68 verses. There are 68 verses in all. Deuteronomy 28. 68 verses. The first 14 uh, verses talks about the blessings. The remaining 54 blessings, uh, 54 verses talks about all kinds of curses. I want you to do something tonight. Go back home before Sunday and read Deuteronomy 28 from verse 1 to the last verse. And separate the blessings. The blessings you already know because you confess that a lot. Spend some time reading the curses. And you discover that, according to Derek Priest, there are like seven classes of curses, but I don't want to talk about that now. But if you read those curses contained in those 54 verses, there is no curse on earth today that you will not find within those verses. All kinds of curses were captured. All kinds. From mental illness to poverty to working hard to all kinds. You don't want to, you don't want to even study it. All kinds of causes that you have not even watched in Nigerian films were released in that place. But you know what the scripture says? You know what I want you to, to go through it tonight? When you go through those 54 verses and you note those curses, as you read them, you need to register in your head that Christ has redeemed me from this. Christ has become... Let's, 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 let's read a bit. Deuteronomy 28. We have three minutes. Let's look at, uh, ah, man. <laughs> ah, let's look at verse 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. <laughs> verse 27. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scab, with the each from which you cannot be healed. Okay. <laughs> Verse 32. Sons and daughters shall be given to another, and your eyes shall look and fill with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. 
I read to verse, verse 68. All kinds of strange causes. Verse 66. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night. And have no assurance of life. Verse 67. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it was evening. And in the evening you shall say, oh, that it was morning. You know, Nigerian film has not captured this kind of curse. (laughs) Because of the fear which terrifies your heart. You shall have fear. Now you wish it was morning. When it is morning, you wish it was night. Suicidal thoughts. So there are 54 verses of all kinds of causes captured. But you know what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13? That he has redeemed us from all of these curses. Praise the name of the Lord. There is no curse that anybody wants to mention that is not captured in these verses. But Christ already knows that we will not be able to pay the price for all of this. So he took our place. Listen to me. No man will be able to deliver you more than what Christ has done for you. No prophet. No pastor. No matter how anointed he is, the one who anointed him is God. And that same God took your place. That reality should sink in your heart. Don't even listen to the message at all. That reality. Go. Study the 54 verses and see the kind of causes. Don't don't run away from it. Study it. Go read it. Confusion. Madness. Bells. All kinds of things. You so much and reap little. Financial lack. Poverty. In fact, the one I don't like, say you will be betrothed to a wife, another will come and marry her. You know, people experience that now. Every time you want to marry, they just marry the wives. Every time. All the people you are proposed to, they are married all of them. Christ says, and when you now meet a prophet, say you have a near marriage cause problem. Christ has redeemed us from near marriage cause. The next girl you propose to, you will be able to marry. The scripture said it. It is when it's time for harvest, you discover that there's nothing. Near success syndrome. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we give 21st century name to curses that have been there in Deuteronomy 28, over 3,000 years ago. But you know what? God knows there's no one person on this earth who will be able to obey all the laws and satisfy the claims of justice. That's why Christianity is a product of the grace and the love of God. And that's what we should respond to. Respond to His grace. We respond to His love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today. Thank you for the blessed gift of your person of the Holy Spirit who teaches us, opens us up into your word. Thank you, Father God, because we have been totally and absolutely redeemed from every force and curse of the Lord. And we speak of our lives right now, Father God, that if there be any trace of these curses, that by the awareness of who we are in Christ, we command that the authority of our lives will be broken and we speak the blessing over our lives in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 
888-75-75. God bless you.